Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, This is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Once again, Alan Dempsey does our engineering. And Andrew Herdliska does the producing. In the first half hour, old friend Oz Guinness is with us. He's written another book. It's called Impossible People. And Oz, wonderful to catch up with you again. I love when you write a book. That means we get to chat. Well, it's always my pleasure, Pat. Thanks for having me on. Subtitle is Christian Courage and the Struggle for the Soul of Civilization. Uh, what does all that mean, Oz? Well, I think we're at an extraordinarily significant moment, and as I understand it, the significance is that we're near the attempted completion of the takeover by progressive secularism from the Jewish and Christian faith as being the working faith to the West. And the challenge to those of us are Christians is very simple. The church is exploding all around the world, especially in the global south, sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, and so on, but not doing very well anywhere in the advanced modern world. So the question for us is, can we be faithful and stand firm here? Well, you open the book with an introduction simply called Found Faithful. <clears throat> what do you tell us in the introduction, Oz? Well, that's the central issue of our time. Faithfulness in trusting the Lord without fear and in practicing the way of Jesus without any compromise in today's world. And and the book is named in the light of uh, a gentleman in the 11th century called Peter Damien. And at a time when the Church was incredibly corrupt financially as well as sexually, he was called the impossible man. He was so sold out to Jesus that he was unmanipulable, unbribable, undeterrable. <laughs> In George Orwell's wonderful later term, he was unclubbable. Now, the <laughs> question that some people said it in great admiration. They admired him for his standards. A lot of people said it out of considerable exasperation. They couldn't sway him. But we need today Christians with a backbone like that. Of course, we've got to have the mercy and the compassion and the love of our Lord. But to meet people who are faithful to him, come what may. We're told today, you know, we're on the wrong side of history, and we're bigots and hate-filled and all these sort of things, but, which is absolute nonsense. But we've got to pick up our crosses, as our Lord called us to, and be found faithful in increasingly difficult times. Oz, the first chapter is called New World, Old Challenge. Uh, what are you teaching us here? Well... I'm trying to look at some of the background issues of our time that don't usually come into discussions of faith and faithfulness. And I've mentioned three. The first is the fact we're living in an age, this one isn't discussed very much, that's moving from what's called pyrotechnology, the engineering of fire, to biotechnology, the engineering of life. And people say, why on earth is that significant? Well, actually, highly significant. For thousands of years, Humanity is advanced through the engineering of fire. That's pretty obvious, climaxing in the Industrial Revolution and all its energy and so on. 
But now, since the 1950s, we're the age of biotechnology and biogenetics. And why this is significant is the engineering of life has led to a new impulse of the Tower of Babel. In other words, the Babylonians and so on, they wanted to build the grass and Egyptian pyramids with towers reaching to heaven so they could be like God. But we today claim to be able to change life itself. So we don't need God, and we can be in charge of our own evolution, as they say, and we can truly create life according to our own pattern. And some of the things that are in the horizons, like transhumanism, are incredibly important Christians to understand. That's the first one. Now I want you to get into this topic, Oz. The greatest, excuse me, the greatest challenge ever. What is it? Well, my argument is that while many Christians are terribly aware of dangerous ideas today, hostile ideas like, say, relativism, secularism, postmodernism, and so on, and these things are very, very important. I'm not minimizing for the moment. But the fact is that many of our greatest challenges don't come from ideas at all. They come from the subtle and seductive shaping power of our advanced modern world. And when we talk about that, Christians often don't understand it. So I argue in this chapter that modernity, you just use one word, modernity is more damage to the Christian church that all the persecutors in history, but many Christians are not aware of it. I give various examples. The first one is the way our modern world shifts us from authority to a kind of pick-and-choose preference. We have so many choices and so much change, everything becomes a matter of preference. Now, trivial things in a supermarket like the choice of 100 cereals, who cares how much you can choose? But when you move up to relationships and affects marriages, and when you move up to faith, and it affects our commitments to Christ, and certainly other religions too, you can see that modern people have this, it's the preference of your choice. I, you happen to believe that, I believe this. You don't like to believe it church? Go down to another one. We're always hopping, shopping, channel surfing, and so on. And you can see people are now doing that with theology. So as one man said to me, of course, Everyone puts a good dollop of love on their plate. And then he went on, but hell? Hell no. In other words, this isn't a salad bar. You like this, but not that? Fine, choose what you like and leave out what you don't like. So people are now picking and choosing, even from the scriptures, of things they like and don't like. And you see the justification, by young evangelicals say, of same-sex marriage or whatever, with the feeblest interpretations, all of which, are a real denial of the authority of Jesus and the authority of Scripture. And, and that's all uh, sort of advanced by this consumerist society we're living in. That's just one example. Another example in the chapter, more briefly, is the way we've shifted from the biblical worldview with its strong place for the supernatural to a basically secular worldview. So you go back in the past to our great-grandfathers and so on, and even to other religions. The unseen world was never unreal. But one of the essence of the modern world is simply the unseen is unreal. And you have many Christians in America who are operational atheists. They're functional atheists. They're atheists unawares. And they simply don't have the supernatural worldview that our Lord has, that the Scriptures have, and that... Many of our fellow believers, say in Africa or Asia, 
they have every day. It affects the way they conduct healings and deliverances and all sorts of things which have slipped out of the West. In other words, we've been shaped more by the modern world than we realize. And the sad fact is the church in America is weak primarily because it's worldly. Oz, how about how about this, Oz? The war of spirits. What's uh, what's your message? Well, that relates to what I've just said. But I start by showing that Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher of the of the Enlightenment, his last word was a little essay that was profoundly influential called "Perpetual Peace," and it gave rise to the peace studies and the League of Nations, all sorts of things like that. The sun of reason would rise. And humans could uh, control their international affairs, we'd have peace. A hundred years later, Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher, in his own last work, he predicted something entirely different. He said, We're about to see a war of spirits, that's his word, a war of spirits, the like of which the world has never seen. <laughs> Pat, if you look around our world today, who is closer to the mark? Kant? Potential <laughs> peace? Or Nietzsche with the war of spirits. You look at the Middle East alone, and you can see things that are so barbaric and savage and evil, they can only be understood, let alone responded to, if we take supernatural evil very seriously, which, of course, the Bible does. You take, say, the book of Daniel, where you have the angel princes of Persia and Greece and so on. Do we think that in our world there's no angel prince of Washington or Moscow or Beijing? and so on. So this chapter is a description of how we've lost that sense of the supernatural and in the world as Oz so often is. Oz Guinness is our guest. we got another segment with him. We're talking about his book, Impossible People. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Hey there, travelers. You going somewhere? Need a hotel? Then call Hotel Wiz anytime, day or night for rates too low to publish. You can save up to 75% on over 500,000 hotels across the globe and get our best price guarantee with no booking or cancellation fees ever. We've got some of the lowest hotel prices you'll find in New York, Chicago, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., and a lot more. Don't waste your time surfing for deals. Make a free call right now and find deals too low to publish. Save up to 75% right now with no cancellation fees. And to make it even easier on you, we're here 24-7 to help. So call right now. Bookmark us in your cell phone. Whatever you need to do, just pick up the phone and call this number for hotel deals that'll knock your socks off. 
This just in. Death, destruction, and violence. Film at 11. Come on. Is all the news really bad? How about some good news in your daily routine? You'll find it when you log on to Christianity.com. They've got great devotionals, terrific Bible study tools, quizzes, and links to the day's most inspiring stories from around the web. Get good news every day when you set your homepage to Christianity.com. Make a difference in your Internet life. Christianity.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Oz Guinness is with us from uh, Northern Virginia, uh, where he lives. The book is called Impossible People. And Oz, that moves us to this topic, uh, exploring the heart of darkness you write about. Uh, Fill us in on that. Well, I'm trying to explore there's something I've never written about, and certain people sort of feel it instinctively, but it's difficult to talk about it. I was in the Congress a number of years ago, and after I'd spoken, a congressman put up his hand and said, you know, if there's a flood, a small boy can put his finger on the dike and be a hero, obviously referring to the Dutch story. But he said, I'm looking at America, and what I see is a mudslide. Who can do anything about it? Now, a lot of commentators are talking about the erosion, the unraveling, the fraying, and sort of words like that. And that's what I'm trying to explore in this chapter, because there are great social scientists who write about what they call the melting down in the modern world. Just as a solid holds its shape, take an ice cube or whatever, a solid holds its shape at rest, a liquid doesn't. It flows, oobs, uh, oozes, seeps, and so on. And people are saying today that in the advanced modern world, because of the rapid change and all sorts of things like this, things that were once solid, for example, a family or something like faith, are just simply melting down and almost evaporating in front of our eyes. And this is incredibly important for the church because there's a certain unreality about faith to a lot of people. Now, of course, the opposite of that melting in the scriptures is God's glory, and the real meaning of glory is weightiness, something which has really solid power because it's real, the ultimate reality. And if ever the church needed the ultimate reality of God that is unmistakable in our institutions, the churches, also in our families, and the very way we talk about faith, so it has a ringing reality, it's that. So, it's, it's a difficult chapter, but it's one of the most daring I've ever written, and I hope people will be intrigued to think about it and pray about it and counter it. How about life with no amen, Oz? What's, well, what's chapter, that mean? Well, that's a chapter on secularism, atheism. And it begins with a story of the greatest European atheist, Jürgen Habermas, who was invited to a funeral of a friend of his who was an atheist, and he was in a church... And it uh, had various things that were sort of semi-religious, but there was, quote, to be no amen. And as he reflected on it, he realized it spoke about the inadequacy of atheism. It simply, his atheist friend knew he needed a church at his passing, and not just an atheist type of burial. And so in that chapter, I explore first, we need to love our atheist friends and confront them philosophically, but love them as people. First, because their atheism is fundamentally inadequate to them. And I give various examples about how modern thinkers 
realize that atheism is simply not adequate. And, of course, the, the biggest of them all, more recently, is the way that we have so many versions of, quote, atheist religion, which is a kind of contradiction in terms. But there's a simple fact that atheism is a thin gruel. It's a diet that's unsatisfying, finally, to atheists, because it doesn't explain them. And understanding that, we can reach out with real heart and with compassion. There's a lot more in that chapter than that, but that's the beginning of it. How about yesterday, today, forever? Well, that again, probably the most original chapter in the book. It's on what I call generationalism. Pat, as you know well, people are terribly aware of generations. He's a child of the 60s. She's a boomer. You know, he's a millennial. He's an exa. All this sort of stuff. And you can see how today that notion of generation has become a form of identity. It's become a form of relativism. It's a generational thing you wouldn't understand, and so on. And I'm arguing that when you put it all together, it undermines the need to transmit from generation to generation, which a democracy like America certainly needs, but so also does the church. And this modern idea that generations are getting narrower and narrower and narrower and are so radically different from each other they can't understand each other is nonsense. And that is not the biblical view. And I think we need to go back to the biblical view. The generations are always changing. Each generation is a pulse beat in the life of humanity. But there should be a passing on of the torch, the baton, from generation to generation. And I begin, you as a sports lover, you remember this, Pat, that the Beijing Olympics were the first in many ways in 2008. But one of the reasons they were the first it was the first time since 1928 when there was no American relay runner on the podium. Every year, there had been one or other in the men's or the women's, 100, 200 meters, and so on. Mm-hmm. No one in Beijing. Why? Well, the world heard the hollow Kenny sound of the baton being dropped. Mm. In other words, that particular year, the American runners were brilliant runners, although... They couldn't outrun Usain Bolt, but they were a rotten team, and they dropped the baton between the runners. And in a way, that's what's happening in American democracy, the lack of civic education. And sadly, that's what's happening in parts of the church. We're so segmenting people in their age groups that we're losing the solidarity you have in the Scripture from generation to generation. After all, our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our Lord's faithfulness lasts for a thousand generations. And we who are followers of Jesus, of all people, should have a very living view of the importance of handing on to the next generation, and so on. What does it mean, Oz, when you write, give us the tools? Well, the question, of course, at the end of the book is, how on earth do people understand this crazy modern world? And so I've got an analysis of the three basic tools. One is the spiritual warfare. I talked about that earlier. The second is an understanding of the history of ideas. Nietzsche was right here. He said, you never understand an idea if it just comes out of the blue. It has an ancestry, a genealogy, a family tree. And if you know its parentage and its grandparentage, then you can understand it. And a simple example is the crazy way that evangelicals have reacted to Postmodernism. 
by not understanding its roots in Nietzsche and Heidegger and 60s radicals in France, they, they accepted it just as other people in the world were giving it up. You know about the Wall Street maxim, buy low, sell high, you make a profit. Mm. But if you buy high and sell low, you know, you make a loss. And young evangelicals, not knowing the history of postmodernism, uh, they bought at the very end of the line, and they're left-handing something everyone else has given up, and rightly given up. And so we need to understand at least the the bare outlines of the history of ideas, and it gives us a shrewd idea. This idea is worth looking at positively, or this idea is surely rather dangerous. We need to look at it with eyes wide open. Well, the, the last, the third tool in the, in the book is um, cultural analysis, because there are things in our world shaping us that don't come from ideas or thinkers at all. And when I say that, people's eyes glaze over until I give them a simple example. Take, say, fast life. Everyone is modern as it is, 24-7 pressure and so on. Business the speed of light, turbo capitalism, you name it. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from any thinker at all. It comes from clocks. And Africans are right when they say all Westerners have watches. Africans have time. And if you go back, the clock was invented around 1300, and it began to have really powerful influence in the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century. But now, with digital atomic time, we're all running to the speed of fast life. And it's just one example. Our, our cell phones, our smart devices, shape us in extraordinary ways. Cars do in a city like, say, L.A., and then could go on. We need to understand our culture so that we're in the world but not of the world, and we're closer to our Lord than we are to the shaping power of culture. So that whole chapter is on the tools we need to be more vigilant, and we can resist some of the trends if we recognize them. Oz, uh, you call the afterword of the book a time to stand. Uh, tell, tell us what uh, you're telling us and tell us what you're teaching us. Well, it's a summary of the idea that the central challenge of our time is faithfulness and therefore the courage to be faithful, and we need to stand. I love the verse in the, in, in the Old Testament where the Lord says he's freed his people from Egypt to walk erect. Free people stand up. They don't lie down. They don't kowtow. They're not cowards. They're not fearful. They can stand with courage. And you can see, you know, Rick Warren very kindly gave me an endorsement for this book, and he said, I'm glad to, because I meet so many demoralized Christians today. And we've suddenly gone from the 1950s world of a strong Christian consensus the fashionability, say, of Billy Graham and the gospel and the born-again era and all that, we've gone to a world where Christians are bigoted, hate-filled, told we're on the wrong side of history, and many Christians are, frankly, filled with fear, and they're demoralized. And so the last chapter is a call to stand with courage, and that's the overall message of the book. It's an extraordinary hour. I began by saying this is the significance of the time we're in, but the fight is not over. In other words, we're in a post-Christian society. We're not yet in a non-Christian society. And the difference Christians make in the next few years will make the difference. You know, I ended my last book, Renaissance, with a very moving story, certainly moving to me, of this debate after World War II when 
a number of Christian thinkers in Europe were asking about the state of the church in the modern world. And one of them said, can the church be warned again a third time? He's obviously talking about revival, reformation. And some of the great thinkers said they weren't sure. Things looked so bad, they weren't sure. But Christopher Dawson, the great Catholic historian, his answer was this. I'm paraphrasing loosely. I haven't got it in front of me. He said, we mustn't answer that question too quickly or too lightly, because on the outcome of that question depends the future of humanity. And as you can hear, Pat, that's an incredible statement, and I think he's right. The future of the world depends on the integrity and effectiveness of Christians making a stand in the advanced modern world. Mm. And in Europe, Christians are a tiny minority. But here in America, we're a sizable majority. Shame on us if we aren't salty enough and light-bearing enough, faithful enough to our Lord to make a difference at this very crucial hour. Here's what Rick Warren had to say about your book. I read everything... Osgenis writes because he always challenges my thinking and enlarges my perspective. Impossible People may be his most important work. Read it, then buy five copies for friends, and discuss it together. The message is that important. This could be the most important book you read this year. That's a pretty powerful endorsement, Oz. What do you think? Well, I'm incredibly grateful, and I hope the book lives up to that uh, praise. And But as you can see, Pat, at the end of every chapter, as with my last book, Renaissance, this is written for Christians, so there's a prayer, and then three questions, so that in church groups and home groups, Christians can really wrestle with some of the big issues of our time, and by God's grace, let's all live more faithfully together. I'm always intrigued, Oz. Uh, is your next writing project already in the pipeline? Well, I'm always writing away in something, but I don't just sit and write. I travel and do other things so much that I often write around the edges on airplanes and things like that. But I've written about a quarter of a new book on new book on freedom. Because you know, when I wrote the one before, which you kindly had me on, I suddenly realized in discussing it around the country, many Ameri- Americans don't have a knowledge of the ABCs of what freedom actually is. So it's a relatively simple book for, for the public square with a, a series of 12 questions as a checklist for saying, do we understand freedom and how is what sort of shape is freedom in in America today? Because I think that's the deepest of the American crises, the crisis, ironically, of freedom in the land of the free. Oz, a million thanks. Always wonderful to chat with you, and uh, I'm so glad we could visit about your new book, Impossible People. Always my privilege, Pat. Thank you, and God bless you. Uh, We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. 
If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Are your car bills just getting higher and higher each time you take it in for service? Is every time you take your auto in for service dreaded because you feel they're selling you repairs and maintenance you just don't need? Well, upselling is the way most companies work today, to drain your pocketbook and pad their profits. So what should you do? For 41 years, the crew at Blue Book Cars Service Center have worked hard to earn your repeat business and help their customers be good stewards of their money. It's their responsibility to be honest and repair your vehicles at the best price. Their low, low service labor rate has been the same for over eight years. Their qualified staff and service techs repair vehicles, not just to replace costly parts, unless necessary. And they don't upsell anything. Come visit Blue Book Service Center. Call 407-321-0741 for an appointment. Mention WTLN and ask about the Blue Book Service Center welcome free loaner vehicle while your vehicle is in for service. Call 407-321-0741. Find out more online at Blue Book Cars. Hi, this is Steve Kreloff. It's a great blessing to be able to come into your home and cars via radio each weekday evening at 6.30 with Verse by Verse. The Apostle Paul told his young protege, Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That's my passion, to accurately understand and teach God's word of truth. I hope you'll tune in weekdays at 6.30 p.m. to Verse by Verse on WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Oz Guinness, our guest in that first half hour, talking about his book, Impossible People. Sarah Partial Perry joins us, author of Mommy Needs a Raise from her home in Maryland. Here she is. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Pat. How are you? The daughter of the great Janet Parshall. That must be a cool thing, Sarah. I you know, lo- it is. I'm- it is. I had a lot of great parenting uh, examples laid out for me, so I can say I, I come by a lot of these revelations honestly because I had a good paradigm to work against. You, um, you open your book with this topic, Meet the Donners. What is that about? <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> well, for anybody who understands the story of the Donner Party, they were a group of ill-fated American pioneers who set out in the mid-1800s during the California Gold Rush to travel across the country from Illinois um, and made the unfortunate decision to take a new shortcut called the Hastings Cutoff. And during that time, they were surprised by an early and what turned out to be tragic snowfall that eliminated 50% of their party and added 150 miles to their journey. And the reason I start with the Donner Party is because there is so much of parenting that can surprise us, so much about which we think we are prepared. And for someone like me who spent a great deal of time in school and was as prepared as I thought one person could be with three-page birth plans and perfectly organized nurseries and a plan to really win at parenting the way I had done in college and career and grad school. Everything about it was so foreign and so surprising and could not be anticipated. 
that I thought, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm on this journey and I get sideswiped by an early snowfall or a shortcut that I thought was going to work turns out to be nothing short of disastrous. So I thought, you know what, that's kind of a good example against which to start the book. Uh, Let's move to uh, the second topic. You call it a job is a job. And what's that mean? So the whole book for me really came from the question of how does one change from the professional world to a stay-at-home mom and redefine the concept of value in what she does. Now, we know that our children have worth. We know that we have worth just because God says we do. We are born with it, with merit and worth and importance in the scheme of the universe. But value is more related to the concept of pay or compensation. So how do we value what we do? And it really has been, since the beginning of time, humanity's lot to work. Adam and Eve were instructed to tend the garden, and Adam was tasked with naming the animals. We have worked since from our very, very first breath, and we will continue to work. The manner in which we work will always be different. So I wanted to start out by setting up the fact that motherhood is itself a job. Now, it's a job that is very different from being out in the workforce. But as the great writer James Selman once said, the phrase working mother is redundant because we all know that when you are a mom, you work from the moment you get up to the moment you put your head on the pillow, and sometimes on those unfortunate nights, you work through the night as well when your children are hurting or sick or need you. So it is a job, but the paradigms and the constructs were completely different for me. So that really was where this whole story started. My guest is Sarah Partial Perry. Her book is called Mommy Needs a Raise. Ravel is the publisher. Uh, next chapter that you write about, um, Sarah, look what I can do, you call it. Uh, so explain that. Well, the entire first section of the book, and the book is arranged into three predominant sections, and the first is kind of my tale of life before children, my professional development, my creative impulses, where I went to school, how I thought my career path would play out, to the second section which is, do these children come with dental? Because it was a completely different job where everything was foreign and everything was strange. And then I end the entire book with a section called Time Travel and Geography, and it is one of my favorites, and I'll sort of save that to the end. But in this first section, I discuss all of the different professional avenues that I took, and I took every avenue from teaching. I was an adjunct professor of business ethics for a while at a local college to working as a litigation attorney for a small Baltimore firm. And then I went in-house for an advertising agency. I did their work as well legally and uh, developmentally for business and new marketing purposes. And I really got a chance to dabble. When I was working, if something I found to be mundane were uninteresting any longer. I could pursue another avenue because having a law degree, you think, oh, well, shoot, I passed the bar exam. Of course I could try this. Maybe this will work. And P.S. for your listeners, it doesn't always work like that. At some professions, I did fail miserably. But I really could change the landscape as quickly as I wanted to 
because I wasn't beholden to the interests of little people who needed me every day. I could quit, I could move on, I could age out, I could get promoted. And this is something that I had to learn to make peace with because, as I like to refer to in the title, quitting is not an option when you're a mother. And mundacity and monotony and an unchanging landscape are sometimes the daily uniform of being a parent. So I contrast what I did before kids and those professional avenues that I pursued to what I did when I had kids and how very different the landscape was. Buck Rogers is the name of a chapter. Why? Well, you know that phrase, no Buck, no Buck Rogers? Mm. I really was starting to figure out the concept of how hard I could work at making a living and how intricately performance was to what I was able to achieve for myself financially. And very new in the workforce, I determined well, this has got to be the ultimate measure of success. I will value what I do by what I am able to make, by the benefits I'm able to achieve, by the 401Ks, by the sales and the bonuses, by the contingency fees. And so money for me was, I thought early on, the sole arbiter of whether or not what I was doing had value. And going to that concept of value being intricately tied to pay or compensation I didn't conceive of the way that there was another way to find that value, that it wasn't necessarily just the buck. It was other things. It was admiration. It could be respect. It could be satisfaction. And then when I changed into becoming a full-time mother, I found that compensation and value in a completely different format, and I decided that that was something that was going to be very life-altering for me. Let's get into this topic, Sarah. Res Ipsa. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> That's the name of the chapter, really. <laughs> so this was my early career as a um, litigation associate attorney down at a firm in Baltimore. And part of the value I thought I would find in my career wasn't just what I would be paid, but what I would call myself. And so calling myself an attorney for a lot of people, you know, that carries a fair amount of cachet. You think, all right, I sat and passed the bar exam. So at this point, I should be able to find ultimate satisfaction in what I do because when I'm asked at a party what I do, I'm able to take a deep breath and jut my chest out and say, well, I'm an attorney. And as it turns out, that was less satisfactory than I thought it was. In fact, I discussed a very lengthy case, one of the first big cases I handled as an early practitioner, and dealt with two women over a dispute in the city over some real property um, that was the subject of a boundary line dispute. And through the entire course of the case, they believed me to be a paralegal, maybe because I still looked young, I was fairly new out of law school, But I had been dealing with them for so long, I thought, well, all of that cachet, I thought being called a lawyer would actually carry with it. There are people who deal with me who don't even think I'm a lawyer. So can it possibly be that important to have that title and hang my hat of worth and value upon that single peg? So my career in law took sort of a left turn when I went, okay, maybe I'll leave practicing outside in a litigation firm to practicing in-house. And so I had a chance to work in an advertising agency, and that's my chapter on Madison Avenue. 
And it was fabulously creative, and the environment was very free, and there were so many fabulously interesting creative types, and they couldn't believe the square suit that had walked in the front door. And I had a chance to really broaden my creative horizons, which, for me, really set off that germination of an idea to write. Now, I didn't know that that would be used later, many years down the road, after I would have kids. But as God is very good about putting in plans, you know, those things that we don't understand until later will have a full effect and benefit. I wanted to write, but I never knew what I would write about. Then, of course, 10 years later, I would have kids about which I would write stories, and everything would come perfectly full circle. Now, Sarah, I want you to talk about Madison Avenue Madness and how that fits into everything here. So I spent that time in the advertising agency and uh, <laughs> was really a contrast in personalities, perspectives, and ways of viewing the world. And I worked with some people who were fabulous but came from a very, very different perspective from me politically and socially. And so it was a real concept of adapting and fitting myself into an environment that was fairly foreign to me. Again, not knowing that this would play out perfectly when it came down to my time with children, I would be square in a room full of ovals. And so one of the things that I dealt with when people found out that I went to Liberty University for undergrad, where I got my journalism degree, was patent prejudice against the fact that it was a Christian university. And so I was working with people who prided themselves on being very progressive. And one went so far as to call me a fascist for mm. having gone to that school. And I thought, okay, well, I'm a type A personality. You're essentially telling me that I'm failing and I'm outside the norm, but don't tell me what the formula is for success, and now you're driving me mad. So I remember at the time thinking, I don't know if I'm going to survive this entirely foreign landscape because I didn't know whether or not being the different one in a room full of people who were all the same was actually going to work. And what I learned was, and this came fully to my benefit as a mom, adaptability is really one of the many keys to success. Sarah, tell us about um, The Teacher Is In. I took a, an adjunct professorship at a uh, local college, at the Community College of Baltimore County, and I took it because for a very brief period of time, always having loved school, always having loved my teachers, I thought, well, academia, why wouldn't that be an option for me? So I approached one of the local colleges after I saw um, sort of a requisition form in the paper, and they were looking for professors to fill adjunct classes. And I thought, well, business ethics and business law, this is perfect. It's a perfect fit went to my supervisor at the agency and said, listen, if I do this on the side, do you think this is something that would be okay? He said, of course, just make sure it doesn't interfere with your work. And I would find in that class an individual named Abram who was going to be one of my biggest challenges. He contradicted and countered and interrupted and interjected every single class I taught. And it was one day a week for three hours, which is a lot of time to spend behind a podium when you don't have any direct experience teaching. And what I didn't know at the end of the class was ultimately the fact that he, while he interjected and interrupted and made a point of 
trying to establish his superiority because he was older, but not necessarily more experienced. He was actually having a great time in the class and sent what I did not know was an anonymous form to my class advisor saying, this was the best class I took all semester. Mm. So I, I had a great time ultimately because it was a challenging time. And it's very funny because a thing happened on the way to growing up and growing through my professional development. I encountered this professional area of parenting, and I use professional in air quotes, but boy, there isn't a parent out there who doesn't believe after a few days with a new baby, you are a professional at this because it requires so much time, effort, and frustration. My guest, Sarah Partial Perry, uh, her book, Mommy Needs a Raise. we got another segment with Sarah here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTL and in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Finances were not designed to bust our marriages, but build our marriages. That's Chris Brown talking about money from a biblical perspective. There's a world's way of handling money that's rooted in entitlement, and there's God's way of handling money that is rooted in contentment and gratitude. Got a money issue you need help with? Listen to Chris Brown's True Stewardship, managing God's blessings God's way for God's glory. Chris Brown's True Stewardship, afternoons at 2, right after Through the Bible. Here at the intersection of faith and reason, the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delta Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Do you have enough drinking water at home or work? For whatever life throws at you, this is Florida, and you can never have enough good, wholesome drinking water on hand for meetings, family gatherings, even Mother Nature's wrath. Be prepared with Carolina Highland Mountain Spring Water delivered directly to your home or business. Call 407-851-7144 or online at carolinabottledwater.com. There are no delivery fees, no contracts, and now take advantage of their Be Prepared delivery special in individual bottles, dispensers, and coolers. The purest water delivered to your doorstep. Guaranteed. Get started now. Call 407-851-7144. 407-851-7144. Or online at carolinabottledwater.com. Refreshing taste. Unrivaled purity. The healthier choice for home or office. Carolina's Highland Mountain Spring Water. Call 407-851-7144. Online at carolinabottledwater.com. Refresh today. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Sarah Partial Perry, whose mother, Janet Partial, is uh, known by all of us, uh, has written a book, Mommy Needs a Raise, and she's with us. So, Sarah, let's get to this topic. We move uh, into the heading, Do These Children Come with Dental? (laughs) And now... Uh, the weirdos next door. That's your first offering here in that area. <laughs> I got to hear about that one. Boy, I love these titles of the chapters. Man, oh, man. 
Well, thank you. Let me tell you, there isn't a person out there who hasn't thought there's something weird that I'm experiencing here with these children. Can this possibly be normal? And, you know, that's the funny thing about kids. As much as we think we're prepared for them, as much as we like to think they fit a mold, and we have done all of our due diligence in getting ready, I'm throwing in one of my previous legal terms there, you can't fully be prepared for the entirely life-changing experience of being a parent. And there is going to be so much of it that is going to be weird. And whether it's a mom and you look at your body and you go, well, this is weird. I didn't anticipate this was going to happen. Or you find yourself dealing with struggles like who has the last blue freezy pop and so your sons are in a fist fight in the kitchen, which I have experienced. This is weird. I did not think I would be a point in my life where I would have to break up a fight over a blue freezy pop. There is so much of this changing landscape and I do use that word picture of a voyage, of a journey, and how we move through segments of our lives from one phase, one season to another. And in this phase, I had just entered, it was a new season of being a mother. And so much of this was the old things falling away. And I had entered this long, strange stretch of undefined wasteland. It was one where nothing came with instructions. And we are as weird as the people next door in that nothing that we do is like anything they do. And your approaches will be different from our approaches. And every family has their own struggles. And we have our own picadillos and our own foibles. And that's kind of the neat thing about this journey, that there really is no blueprint. Everyone is willing to write a book about parenting and read a book about parenting. And this is really the story of how None of it can fully prepare you for how life-altering it is and how it will totally change your concept of value. Now, let's talk about this topic, uh, play nice. What's that? So, there's been a lot of discussion in the social media um, stratosphere these days about mommy wars and mommy shaming. And one of the things that was new about motherhood, one of these new strange oddities, was the fact that there was a, a sinister self-selection, as I like to call it. It was an opportunity for meanness that blossomed in motherhood that I experienced, as did other moms, where a woman's insecurities sort of took center stage the way they hadn't in any other aspect of my life. It really took that element of insecurity and injected it kind of with human growth hormone because you take the aspect the many different variables of a woman's life, and you narrow them down to one essential defining choice to have a child. And suddenly the millions of women in the United States, the billions of women in the world who have, who have children of their own, suddenly share in common with every other woman one very defining choice, and that's the option to be a mother. So all of those choices and insecurities that we have about our lives, all of those second guesses and those quiet, angsting moments about whether or not we made the right decision, they have a tendency to be flipped on their heads and they are projected, I believe, onto other women as a way to be mean insofar as we think our choice is the best. It's home birth, hospital birth, it's nursing versus bottle feeding, it's co-sleeping versus the fervor method of letting them cry it out, it's stay at home, it's work outside the home. There are so many different options that we have, 
And it's wonderful in that God's given us all of these choices, the freedom to make these choices, but it really is a way that in the Church, just like outside of the Church, we have a tendency to be very divisive among ourselves. So I talked about the fact that really I want to take every other mom I encounter, and I do this a lot from new moms to older moms, and I give them high fives, and I say, you know what? You're doing a good job, and I wish there was more of that. Now, Sarah, let's talk about this topic, uh, the art of war. (laughs) Fill us in. Uh, If any of your listeners are familiar at all with Sun Tzu's seminal work on warfare, the art of war, it's uh, sort of a second language for those of us who are parents, because you realize that conflict is an inevitable part of raising little people. And if you have one child, it will be conflict between you and them. And if you have two children, it will be conflict between you and them and between each other. And then if you have more than two, well, then it's basically between everybody, including you and your spouse, because you're all dropped in a house together and expected to practice Christ-like love, which is a lot harder than it actually sounds. So I take some of those those statements and remarks from Sun Tzu, things like, if you know yourself and your enemy, you can win numerous battles without jeopardy. And I'm using enemy here in air quotes, but it's really knowing yourself and knowing your kids. And then you can bypass some of those battles. For me, it could be something as simple as, I know I have found my youngest son scampering through the cabinets like a monkey at 2 o'clock in the morning to get the second box of Pop-Tarts that I have hidden because he knows where I hide them. So then I have to make a choice now about what to buy at the store because I have understood who he is as a little person, what his penchant is for certain things, and his tendency to be rebellious. And I think, okay, in fully understanding him as much as I do, I can avoid these future conflicts by just making sure we bypass them altogether. I talk about all warfare being based on deception and the fact that as much as you love them, you're a little toe-headed, adorable, dimpled, freckled children like mine will look you straight in the face and lie their little tails off, and they won't think twice about it because the nature of children is that at some point, they are going to be tempted to tell you an untruth. So you have to be honest yourself in being honest and setting an example with your children. So there are a lot of the principles from the art of war that surprisingly apply in parenthood as well, and I think the readers will get a kick out of that. Sarah Parshall Perry is our guest, author of Mommy Needs a Raise. Uh, Now talk to us about survival instinct. Well, for those of your listeners who have no family around or who don't have a roster of babysitters or who potentially have a spouse that travels or has to find a combination of working and staying at home to make things work, I wrote the chapter Survival Instincts because I had to make peace with a certain element of parenting that blew my entirely perfect schedule completely out of the water. I had to make peace with the fact that at a certain point, Everything is going to fall apart. And when there are those difficult days when you are on your last nerve or you haven't slept because of a sick child or your spouse is traveling yet again, which happens frequently with us in our house, my husband travels for work, I had to come to the realization that sometimes just getting by was enough. Sometimes not doing, not keeping all of the neat things in the house perfectly neat, not getting all the laundry done and all the floors mopped and every Jimbery class attended and every pantry perfectly stopped, 
sometimes if we were just going to order pizza and lay on the floor together and watch a cartoon, that was perfectly fine. And I want the mothers in particular who are listening and who read this book to realize that the element of overparenting can actually hurt us because we will exhaust ourselves for what we think is the advancement of our children. But really, sometimes the time spent is so much important than the time spent doing. And that's really what survival instinct is about. Well, it's been a wonderful visit, Sarah. Thanks a million for writing the book. It's uh, What does your mother think? Is she pleased with the book? Well, she's particularly pleased because, as you know, Pat, I've dedicated it to her, and I didn't tell her I did that before she got her advanced reading copy. So it was a very special moment for her to see that. But I really wanted to write this so that mothers would understand the nature of being part of a miracle and that the value in motherhood is not just us because we have been privy to a miracle, but it's our kids who will leave this legacy after us. And it's the value of the eternal legacy that we have been able to participate in. So, Sarah Partial Perry has been our guest. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Have you ever heard God's whisper? Sometimes it's easier to see where God whispered to us when we look back in time, but more difficult in the moment. This may be one of those times. If you or someone you know is pregnant, adoption is a positive alternative and a truly brave decision you don't need to make alone. Life for Kids is a private, nonprofit, Christian and licensed adoption agency serving women who are pregnant, their unborn babies, and the adoptive families who are praying you will choose life. Life for Kids offers compassionate counseling, adoption planning, information, and support. Have you considered adopting? Life for Kids serves Christian couples called by God to adopt, and they've placed children into loving Christian homes for over 20 years. Is this the whisper you've been waiting for? Adoption is a positive choice. Life for Kids will walk with you on your adoption journey. Visit lifeforkids.com. That's lifeforkids.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Thanks for joining us, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In the first half hour, Oz Guinness was with us uh, talking about his book, Impossible People. And then Sarah Partial Perry plugged in, and we had a nice chat with her about Mommy Needs a Raise. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, I'd like you to catch up with one of my most recent books. It's called Extreme Winning. Uh, HCI is the publisher. And uh, I write about the 12 qualities that it takes to be an extreme winner. I, I think you'll enjoy the book. It's in bookstores now. And Amazon.com is always a wonderful way to check out what is going on in the uh, the book world. Well, have a wonderful day in church tomorrow with your family and a terrific week ahead. And we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour.
Here on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN.